Good morning. Our reading today comes from the 84th Psalm, and it can be found on page 800, excuse me, 473 in the Pew Bible. We're going to start with verse 5. Happy are those whose strength is in you. In your heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord God of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. On the mountain, in the valley, in the crowded streets, or the empty desert, in our hope, and in our waiting, we are never alone. You know how the New Testament begins? First story in the New Testament is the story of an angel appearing to a man named Joseph. And the angel says to Joseph, the woman you're betrothed to, your fiance, she's going to have a baby, a little boy. And the Bible continues by saying, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. That's, that is how the story of good news begins. That God is with us. And as we begin this season of Advent, this season of preparing for the coming once again of the Christ child, we're going to explore the ways that God is with us. We're going to talk about the ways that God is with us in the wilderness. What we might consider times of waiting or anticipation. We're going to talk about the ways that God is with us on the mountaintop when life is good and when God, how God is with us in those moments of fear, the storms. But today, today we're going to start off this series, God with us, by talking about something that's kind of heavy. We're going to talk about the times, the way God is with us in the midst of our valleys, times of suffering, times of pain and difficulty. Most of us, have uh, times like this. We can point back to those times. In fact, the moment I said valley, some of you started thinking back to a season in your life. Maybe some of you are going through valleys right now. 
You know, the psalmist talks a lot about valleys. In fact, the most famous psalm, the 23rd psalm, talks about a valley. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I go through the valley, I will fear no evil. Does anybody remember why David was going to fear no evil in the valley of the shadow of death? Why? Because God is with us. Even in the valley, even in the valley of death, I won't be afraid because God is with me. In, in Psalm 84 that Miss Marlene read for us just a moment ago, we heard David make reference to the valley of Baca. Now some people think the valley of Baca was a real place. Other people think it was a descriptor of a kind of valley that people could go through. The, the, the valley of Baca is often described as a valley of weeping. And as you, as you think about the, the valleys you could go through, the, the valleys as you are leading up into the city of Jerusalem, the valley is permeated by these fir trees as you go up into Jerusalem. And these fir trees can get little blisters on them, and those blisters can pop. And it looks like the trees themselves are weeping. Check this out. That's what it looks like. So what is, what is the, the psalmist saying? What's David saying? David is saying, sometimes our valleys are so deep and they're so dark that even the trees are weeping with us. That's what David is talking about in this psalm. Valleys are a constant reality of life. They're going to be part of all of our lives. There are going to be times we weep, times we suffer, times of darkness. What do we do? Well, we find hope in the truth that God is with us and that we are never alone. I want to spend the first few moments of of this conversation about valley talking about what do we mean when we say God is with us. And I mean at least three things when I say God is with us. And there's an opportunity to take notes on the back of your bulletin. And uh, I would encourage you to do so. Because my guess is we're all going to experience some valley sometime in the future. And we're going to need to remember some of these things. What do we mean when we say that God is with us in the valley? Here's the first thing. We mean that God's true presence is with us. God's true presence is with us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 Paul writes, he says, don't you know, you are the temple of the living God. God dwells in you. We could spend the entire sermon, the entire series, all of 2020, talking about what it means to celebrate God being within us. It means that the one who formed the mountains and creates the wind dwells in you. Means that the one who first came up with the idea of being and then had the power to call it into existence dwells in you. Have you ever thought about the fact that God invented love? It didn't exist until God came up with it. That should set the fire of the artist and the poet in our souls ablaze, man. The one who created love lives in you. 
And I love the way Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 8. He says, if this God is with us, this God is for us, then who can be against us? He goes on to say later in Romans chapter 8, in fact, we are more than conquerors because this God is with us. What does it mean for God to be with us? The first thing it means is that the real, the true presence of the God who formed the mountains and creates the wind, the God who created creation, the God who invented love, that God lives in you. That was your chance to say amen. There you go. But that's not all we mean by talking about God with us. Here's what else we mean. I also mean that God, God is with us through the gift of God's holy scripture. God is with us. The word of God is with us. Isaiah chapter 40 is a fantastic, fantastic snapshot of, of beauty and poetry and strength. In it, the prophet Isaiah shares these words. He says, Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord our God is an everlasting God? He is the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow tired. He will not grow weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weak, increases the power of the tired. Even youths will grow tired and weary. Young men will stumble and fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and they shall not faint. These are the kinds of words and affirmations that exist in the word of God. You know why we often talk about the virtue of reading the Bible, a daily diet of Scripture. And the reason that we talk so often about this is in part because when we participate in a daily diet of Scripture, our lives are more meaningful. When we regularly study the Bible, our lives inhabit the experience that Jesus dreamed we could have in John 10.10 when he says, I came to give you life and life to the full, abundant life. But that's not all. When we engage in a daily diet of scripture study, it also prepares us for those seasons when we are going to be in the valley. Those times when we are suffering. I love the way that it is put that I've hidden these words in my heart that I will not sin against God. We are preparing for what may come as we engage in a daily diet of Scripture. God with us means the real presence of God is with us in the valley. It means that God's Word remains with us in the valley. But there's one more thing I want to celebrate that it means to say when we talk about God being with us, and it's this. God with us means that the family of God is with us. I shared this story in my first few months of, of being here as, as just one of your pastors. Um, in my last duty assignment as a pastor, I, I served um, a church with a family in it who lost a, a son to gun violence. And somewhat famously, he was a cameraman, uh, and he was shot and killed while he was alive on camera along with a reporter. It was, it was, a, it was grotesque and, and horrible and painful for that family. And um, I, I walked with that family in that difficult time. A couple of weeks ago, we had a, a similarly difficult experience as a church family. We um, lost a precious little one in our church. And, and in, in preparing to do that funeral, I reached out to some of the people who, um, who are, are my brothers and sisters that, that I call on when life is really hard. And, and word got, got to Miss Mary, who was the mother of the, the boy whose funeral I'd done. And she sent me a text message that, that week. I was preparing for this really hard funeral, and I, I, I asked them all to pray for, for this family and for our church. And here's the text message that Mary sent me. She said, 
I don't know how we would have even made it if you hadn't been there to help us. Now, here's what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, he's a pastor, right? So he walked in there and he came up with these really holy words that made everything better. You know that's not true, right? When people are in the true darkness of the valley, there aren't words that make it better. There just aren't. You know what I remember doing with that family? I don't remember walking in and saying these magic words. I remember walking in and holding their hands and weeping with them in the midst of their living room. That's what I remember doing. And I tell you, that's exactly what God called me to do in that moment. When we talk about the fact that the family of God is with us, it's with us when we celebrate on the mountaintops, but it's also our family. This Christian family is with us in our deepest and our darkest moments, and their job is to weep with us. Our job is to weep with each other and remind each other that we are not alone. That's our job, church. Let me further illustrate this by, in this way. I, uh, I took a trip recently. You may have heard me mention that I went to Sierra Leone. I've said that to you before, right? Yeah, ha, 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 I have. Yeah. While I was there, I got to look at a, a gym. Uh, this is a picture of it. Can you see the gym? It's in the, it's in the middle of the picture there. It's a, it's, what they did is they didn't have, they didn't have weights like we might have at a gym that we, we'd go to. Uh, they, they poured concrete into buckets and let it set up. And then they cut the buckets away and, and stuck those on a metal rod and that was their, their dumbbell, their barbell. Uh, so there were these guys, the, the security guards for the compound where we stayed who were walking around and these guys were jacked. I mean, they were jacked. And, and I, I asked, I watched them work, I, I watched them work out, right, uh, while I was there. And I noticed that they, uh, they didn't use spotters. And so I walked up to one of them and I said, hey, why don't you use, um, spotters? Now, I, I want to acknowledge an irony here. That somebody who looks like he's made out of cottage cheese, right, would walk up to people who are jacked and say anything about exercising. But I did. I walked up and I said, well, hey, why don't you guys use spotters? Now, some of you are saying, what's a spotter? Which is exactly what they said to me. What's a spotter? Well, in this experience of lifting weights, a spotter is somebody who quite literally watches you while you're lifting weights. And if you get into trouble, like if I'm trying to press that bar off of my chest and I can't quite get it, the spotter is there to help me get the, the weight off. Now, a couple of things that are beneficial about having a spotter is, is one, you're less likely to die doing weightlifting when you have a spotter, right? But the second thing is you're able to lift more weight. Why? Because you're not worried about it all crumbling on top of, of you. Together, we can lift more. Did you know that? Together, we can lift more. Together, we endure more. Together, we survive the valley by reminding one another that the living God is with us. God is with us in God's real presence living inside of us. God is with us in the word that we hide in our hearts. God is with us in the gift of each other. God is with us. All right, I want to show you one more picture because it's a heavy sermon. So this is something to laugh at. So this is your pastor. There you go. That's right. Now you might say, I don't see Pastor Monica there. She's not the only one who lifts weights, okay? Back in August, my wife got me a membership to a gym, and I went once. 
Oh, I wish I was kidding. (laughs) Man, there are some people in this room, there are some stories that you've told me that I, I can't imagine. There are some people in this room who've endured tremendous suffering. Those of you who were here last week perhaps remember Dr. Bates' stories. His stories are difficult for me to comprehend. But as you heard him talk about his time in the valley as he was in Liberia, you heard him describe the fact that he was never alone, that God was with him. He said, God was courting me the whole way through the valley. The living God is with us in real presence, in the word of Scripture, in Christian community. God is with us in the valley. But that's only the first part of what I want us to know about the valley today. There's something else really important for us to know about the valley. I also want us to understand that our God redeems our valleys. Our God redeems our valleys. Let me show you how. What does that mean? Well, first way I think that God redeems our valleys is that giants fall in valleys. A few months ago, we told the story, maybe the most famous story of the Old Testament is the story of David and Goliath. Goliath had been taunting God's people for weeks on end until this 12-year-old shepherd boy shows up. And he he tries new tactics and he gives maximum effort. And the giant falls. I'm just curious, does anybody happen to remember where this story took place? In the valley of Elah. Giants fall in valleys. I don't mean this in a poetic sense or or in the sense of the story. I mean really giants fall in valleys. Valleys. Ask a recovering alcoholic or addict. Ask them about the power of being in a low valley. Ask them about rock bottom. It's often in the midst of our valleys that we will finally allow God to conquer the giants we face. Giants can fall in valleys, but that's not the only way God redeems our valleys. There's another way God redeems our valleys. Life is often born in the valleys. We talked about the prophet going into the valley of dry bones earlier this year. You may remember. And God looked at him. He said, Ezekiel, he said, he said, mortal. He said, mortal, can these bones live? Oh, Lord God, you know. And God said, mortal, prophesy to the bones. Ezekiel, prophesy to the bones. And the bones began to come together, bone to bone, and they were joined. And then, then sinew and flesh and muscle all came together. That happened in a valley. A valley filled with dry bones became a valley filled with life in the hands of our God. When we are in the valley, we have a tendency to take inventory of the things that are life-giving and the things that are life-diminishing. Our valleys can be crucibles. They can burn away the things that would steal our lives and leave only that which truly matters. God redeems our valleys. But there's one other way God redeems valleys. It's not just that giants fall in valleys or that life can be born in a valley. It's also that salvation begins in a valley. 
the night that Jesus Christ gave himself up for the world, he finished his last supper with his disciples. And he, he left the room, the upper room, on top of Mount Zion. And the Bible says he traveled down into a valley. You see, where Mount Zion comes together with the Mount of Olives, there's a valley called the Kidron Valley. And at the base of the Kidron Valley, there's a garden. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. There are a few lessons to take away from the fact that Jesus chose to go into a valley that night. Here's the first thing. Our God knows what it's like to walk through a valley. Amen, church? Our God became flesh. Our God knows what it is to walk through a valley. Our God has suffered. That's important to remember. Here's what else I think is important. It was in the midst of this valley. Jesus said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. Jesus was faithful in the valley. The truth is, Jesus was also arrested in the valley. In the Garden of Gethsemane is where he was taken into custody. It's where the saga of our salvation finds its beginning. And if we look past the beauty and even the poetry of this moment, the truth in our lives is that for many of us, the time when we began to take our walk with Jesus Christ seriously is when we were in moments of crisis and suffering. It's when we were in the valley. Salvation often begins in the valley. What's the point? Valleys are hard. They can hurt. But our God is with us and... And our God redeems our time in the valley. God does it by being helping our giants fall. God does it by giving birth to life. And God does it by causing salvation to be born in the valley. And just, I just one more thing about the valley. I also, I need this to know that God redeems our valley for a purpose. God uses the valleys in our lives to prepare us to do transformational things. God uses the valley to prepare us for transformational lives. Let me tell you this story. In the year 325 AD, uh, people came together to, to form something called the Council of Nicaea. First major, major Christian council. Christians from all around the Mediterranean world, that's as far as the church had gotten that far at that point. Christian delegates from all around the Mediterranean world, they came together. Listen, it is impossible to overstate the importance of the Council of Nicaea. The Council of Nicaea gave birth to our first statement of faith. Our first unified sense of what we believe as the Christian church. The Council of Nicaea was comprised of people who ultimately decided what books did and didn't get admitted into the New Testament. It is impossible to overstate the importance of what happened at the Council of Nicaea. Here's why I'm telling you this. There were 318 delegates to the Council of Nicaea. History records that of those 318 delegates, 306 of them had lost an eye, a limb, or didn't walk right because they had been beaten and oppressed for their faith. Of 318, 306 of them were missing an eye or a limb or they limped because they'd been beaten by virtue of their faith in Jesus Christ. Why is that an important lesson? I don't think it's an accident that these are the people who came together and set the direction for the next 2,000 years for the church. It is in the valley that God prepares us to do transformational things. There was a pastor by the name of Parnell Bailey. 
And he tells a story about visiting, in the course of his life, he visited two apple orchards. And he visited them both in the same day. He was in North Carolina there doing a revival. And North Carolina was experiencing a drought. They'd been in a drought for 18 months. And so he went to the first apple orchard, and the trees looked like what trees look like here outside right now. They just were barren. There was nothing growing on these trees. They had no water. And he went to the second apple orchard that same afternoon. These, these trees were alive. They, were, they had foliage. They had apples growing on them. And Reverend Bailey asked, asked the farmer, he said, how in the world do your trees look like this and everybody else's trees are dead? And the farmer said, well, when the trees were just seedlings... I limited the amount of water I gave them so that their roots would grow deep. God uses the valley. God doesn't create the valley. But God uses the valley to cause our roots to grow deep. God uses the valley to help prepare us for transformational lives. Most of the Psalms were born out of difficulty. Most of the epistles were written from prison. Most of the greatest thoughts of the greatest thinkers of all time passed through the fire. Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress from jail. Florence Nightingale was too ill to move from her bed as she reorganized health care in Great Britain. Semi-paralyzed and under the constant menace of apoplexy, Louis Pasteur discovered vaccination. What is the point? Sometimes it seems like when God is about to make great use of us, God allows us to endure the valley first. There's something about the valley that prepares us to be and do what God is calling us to be and do. Doesn't mean God created the valley, but it means God can use it. So remember, next time you experience suffering, remember that God is truly with you. Remember that the Word of God is with you. Remember the family of God is with you. The next time you find yourself in a valley, remember that beautiful and amazing things can happen in valleys. Giants can fall in valleys. Life can be born in valleys. Salvation can begin in valleys. The next time you're in a valley, remember, our God often uses valleys to prepare us to change the world. Season of Advent, oftentimes we think of as this light and airy and cheery season, but that's not true. The season of Advent is a season when we are preparing for the coming of the Christ and anticipating why Christ came in the first place. Christ came because sometimes the suffering of this world was just too much. And God looked at God's people and said, I will not let them endure this alone. And so God put on flesh, was named Emmanuel, And came to be with us. Even, especially, in the valley. Would you pray with me, church? It sounds so odd, O Lord, that we would give you thanks for the valley.
but today we do. We give you thanks for your presence with us. We give you thanks for the gift of your scripture that undergirds us. We give you thanks for the gift of Christian community that loves us and cares for us. Yes, God, we thank you for being with us in the deepest, darkest valleys. And we thank you, O God, for what you do to redeem them. We thank you for the way that you use them. And we ask, O God, for your grace to remember now in all ways that we are not alone. God, I use these last few breaths to pray for people who perhaps at this very moment are walking through a very, very difficult time. Oh, Lord God, remind them they're not alone. Help them to know that you are with them and that we want to be with them. Help us to love on each other, care for each other, just as you commanded us to. And to remember on mountains high and in valleys low that we indeed are never alone. In Christ's name, amen.